Thanks, Mark, for reading Romans 14. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Romans 14. Get your sermon notes out. Get ready to dive in. I, I looked at the calendar, and in about a week or two, it will be officially one year that we've been in the book of Romans. And so we've been here a long time now. I know we had other sermons at Christmas time and New Year's and other holidays uh, throughout the year, so we weren't always in Romans for that year. Um, but uh, but uh, we find ourselves coming to a conclusion in the next couple weeks. And I want to look at 14 as a whole chapter and, and talk about it. In the context of Paul's writing, there's tremendous disunity between the Jews and the Gentiles in that church, as I mentioned way back last year. But uh, Paul's dealing with something here because if we're submitted to God, we're going to be submitted to one another. If I'm going to love God, I have to love the other people around me, and I have, to, I, have to, I have to connect with them. I have to be in relationship with them. I can't judge them. And so that's what Paul's talking about here in this passage of Scripture. With your Bibles open to Romans 14, look at the screen, and I want to read 1 Corinthians 13, 11 to kind of set the groundwork for tonight. It says, When I was a child... I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. We all acted a certain way as a child, and when I talked in our announcement time about the church growing up, about Christians growing up, that's our call, is a call to maturity. But that maturity takes time, it takes development, just as it does with our children. And we see that development in our children over the years by the toys that they play with. I want you to think about your favorite toy growing up. I don't know what uh, era you were born in and what your favorite toy was, but uh, when I was a, a little guy, kind of my little guy's age, I was, it was the 70s, and I don't know if you remember, but the big deal was Evil Knievel. Evil Knievel was the big deal, jumping over the Grand Canyon, all that fun stuff. And so they had these Evil Knievel action figures and motorcycles that you put on the ramp, and you cranked it, and, and it went off, and it took off, and it usually crashed into something like the real Evil Knievel did. And it was just kind of a fun toy. It was like my favorite toy when I was a young kid. And so I looked at what my kids play with now. I don't know what your kids play with, but my kids love Nerf guns. That's like, that's all they want is Nerf guns and having Nerf wars, and they love it. And what's interesting is because they're kind of spread out over, over ages, and what's interesting is, is that they begin to tease each other one way or the other. Either, oh, you're too old, you're playing with baby toys, you're, you're too old, or, or um, they'll say, well, you're just, you're just a baby, you're playing with baby toys. And so we have that kind of rivalry back and forth going up and down as they play together with their toys. But as we grow up in the Lord, we, we realize that we are free in Christ. We realize that we can put away the childish things speaking in our life, and we can follow God with this new freedom and, uh, and it's, again, it's a freedom not about the law, but about relationship. And Jesus talks about this quite clearly. First of all, in John chapter 8, verse 36, he says, If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. So Jesus tells us we are set free. Paul writes later in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That we have freedom in Christ. Paul talked about this back in our, our Romans 8 messages. When we talked about Romans 8, we had a series of messages just on that chapter. But Romans 8, 2 says, Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. I have been set free from the law and made alive in the Spirit. And the more I mature as a Christian, the more I understand that. 
But the question is, what do I do with my freedom in Christ? What does this freedom really mean? And I want to be very definite about this as we begin this chapter because uh, I think there's a misunderstanding of grace or freedom in Christ. The freedom that Scripture talks about, that Jesus announced and then the apostles echoed, it's a freedom that there are no more requirements for me to be right with God. There's no more doing this or doing that. It's no longer based on a set of do's and don'ts. Jesus paid the price for me. He did everything, and now I'm in relationship with him. And so Paul says, I can do anything as long, and this is where it's important, I can do anything I want to as long as I find myself in Christ and following the Holy Spirit. So everything's permissible for me. I can do whatever I want. I can do that as long as I am in Christ and following the Holy Spirit. Because we realize as adults, we can do whatever we want, right? I mean, seriously. The things we thought we'd want to do as a kid, well, I can go out and I can spend this money, or I can do this, or I can do that. I can eat whatever I want. I can eat. We realize when we're an adult, yeah, we can. We have the freedom, but that's not really maybe the wise thing to do. But in the context of our Christian maturity, it's not about what we do and don't do anymore. It's about becoming like Christ. See, that's our goal in maturity as a believer. It's to to become like Jesus, and you can't do that on your own. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I just want to say this because I think there's a, a cheap grace that's being taught today. And it's basically that Jesus died for my sins. And as we studied in, in Romans chapter 8, that when, I, when the more I sin, the more grace abounds. So my gra- grace always covers my sins, so I can basically do whatever I want. And then people are using that. I, I've seen pastors use that so that they could maybe say a swear word from the pulpit or something like that. And I just, I've heard it in a pastor, I'm like, are you kidding me? Or, or, well, you know what, now I think we can get drunk. I think it's okay because, you know, grace covers. It's all right. We can do these things because, you know, grace. And, and, and it's like, let me say this. Jesus died for the remissions of your sin. Jesus did not die for, to give you permission to sin. Jesus died for the remission of your sin, not to give you permission to sin. What he did on the cross when you think about that, and we think about that every month, I mean, that's, that's powerful. And that's what our sin cost. And so Jesus didn't die on a cross so I'd be free to sin. Jesus died on a cross that I'd be free to be more like him. But what's interesting is we go through our Christian life, what we're going to find out is that you and I might disagree on freedom in Christ. What you're free to do, what I'm free to do, and that's what Paul has to deal with here. How do you deal with the things where I judge you or you despise me or we don't see eye to eye on our life and our lifestyle? And so when we begin this chapter in the first part, verses 1 through 12, Paul is saying that we must accept one another. That's the first thing. We must accept one another. And I'm just going to break it down by verses as we go through this. And this is just the first half of the chapter. We must accept one another. Why? Because verse 1 through 3 says that God accepts us. 
God accepts you. He chooses you. And if He chooses you, we must accept one another. Because in every church, there are going to be people that are weak and people that are strong. There's going to be new believers and old believers. There's going to be all different kinds of people in your life. And so there's going to be a wide variety of opinions and and, and how people do things. There are some Christians that are very strict. There are others that are very loose. And we have all of those things on this continuum. And what usually happens is we begin to throw the, 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 the kind of just the insults both ways. Well, you're unspiritual, or you're immature, or you don't have freedom in Christ, or, or, or all these things. So we start throwing out these ideas. But I love what Paul says in verse 4 where he says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? That's a powerful statement. If God has accepted them, you must accept them. And don't worry about it because God's going to take care of it. And that, that moves us into those next few verses there, uh, verse, verse 4 and following, that, that God sustains His own. God takes care of His own people. It's very important to remember that God is the master and we are the servants. That's the relationship we have to remember. God receives old, new, young, weak, strong. He takes anyone and He works with them and He's working through them. So why are we condemning the people around us just because they look at things differently than we do? God will take care of it. And remember, because in these next verses, 5-9, through He is the Lord. Christ is the Lord. Not you. What's interesting, in these verses right here, the, the, the Greek word for Lord is used eight times in those verses. And he's making it again very clear, he's the master and we're the servants. No one has the right to play God except God. And it's not about what you do or how you do it. And specifically, Paul's dealing with, right in this context, this idea of being a vegetarian. Because they didn't want to eat meat offered to idols because they would offer meat to idols back then. And the meat would just sit there, obviously, because the idol's not going to do anything. And so they'd sell it back to the market and make some money. And, and so when you went to the market to buy the meat, you didn't know if you were buying meat that was offered to the idol or not. So I don't want to eat any meat that was offered to an idol, even, even though Paul says it's okay to do that. I just I don't want to. It violates my conscience. So I'm going to be a vegetarian. But then I don't have the right to tell everybody else to be a vegetarian. And, and that's where it becomes a little sticky, and we'll see as we move through this chapter how sticky it actually becomes. But just so you know, the only thing you're called to do is to bring honor to God with your life. That's it. Because what they're talking about there, whether being a vegetarian or worshiping on a certain day, or anything, it's all about your heart before God. It's all about that relationship. It's all about whatever you do, honor the Lord. And then remember that Jesus is the judge. Verses 10 through 12, Jesus is the judge. Paul has to ask him over and over again, why do you judge each other? Christ is the ultimate judge. Now, keeping your Bibles open to Romans 14, I'm going to put a verse on the screen, some verses here, from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is not the Bema seat of judgment. This is not the judgment of God for the sheep and the goats. Those are the ones that, you know, that's the one that, you know, says, hey, you go to heaven, you go to hell. This is the judgment that comes for those that are followers of Christ. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning of verse 11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. 
Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewel, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So Jesus is going to judge your work. Jesus is going to judge. He's the ultimate judge. We're not to judge one another. He will be that ultimate judge. And so instead of worrying about what your brother or sister in Christ are doing, here's what we need to do. Prepare yourself for the day of judgment. Prepare your own heart. Now, how do you do that? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, being led of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and what's interesting, and I, I just wrote this down because it hit me this week, that I am amazed, this is something I've learned, I'm amazed that God blesses people that I don't agree with or I think are wrong. I don't understand that. I really don't. I don't know why he does that, but he still does. God will do what God wants to do with his servants. It's not up to me. God will do what he wants to do. And I'm not here to take care of anybody else. I'm here to take care of me. Now, with that being said, if the chapter ended here, we would think, okay, fine, if we disagree, we don't get along, whatever, you just stay over there, I'll stay over here, and just I can ignore you, and you can ignore me, and we'll, just, we'll be separate till we get to heaven. But that's only halfway through the chapter, so we have to keep going, because it's not just enough to accept one another. We are called to build up one another as well. We're called to encourage, or maybe your Bible says edify. We're called to build up one another in the faith. 1 Corinthians 1, or 8.1 says, Knowledge puff, puffs up while love builds up. And the law of love always supersedes the, the law of liberty. And I'm called to build you up. And, and you're called to build me up. And I'm, I'm called to build up uh, people or ministries that maybe I don't even agree with, but God seems to be blessing them or doing so. So it's like I have to encourage them. And so let's look at these verses here. In verses 13 through 15, it, it tells us that Christians affect each other. We affect each other. And as you read through this passage, you can find three different ways that we affect each other. Either we can cause someone to stumble, or we can grieve someone else, or we can destroy other people. Our life, our actions affect the other Christians around us. And we have to be careful that we don't stumble someone else or grieve someone else or, or destroy someone else's faith by how we treat them or what we are doing. We're called to build and encourage. I think of, um, you know, kids are scared of the dark. And they call out, Mom, Mom, come up. And so Mom comes up. And, and you can't argue or scold that child into not being scared, can you? It's going to take that mom reassuring that child, that mom sitting down with that child and just spending some time with that child and, 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 and showing love to that child for that child to feel secure. And, and so we're called to affect one another in that way that we would encourage each other in love, not to scold, not to argue, not to shout down, but to encourage and build up. 
It says in chapter 14, verse 14, and I want you to look at this verse because this is the verse that always kind of rubs me the wrong way when I first read it, and so i got to work through it. It says, I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. Paul takes it even farther. Later in the chapter, says they're, they're sinning if they partake in it. And when I read that verse, it, it bothers me because I'm like, how does this work? I mean, the Bible tells us what to do and not to do. So, so isn't, aren't things black and white? This seems very gray to me, doesn't it, to you? It's like, well, nothing's unclean, but if you think it's unclean, then it is unclean, and then you're sinning. And so I'm like, how does this work? And I began to think about how does this work, and, and I immediately went to the idea of temptation. And what's interesting about temptation is that the devil, while there's some themes that run through temptation, he tempts each of us in a different way. There's some things that tempt you that don't tempt me. There's other things that tempt me that wouldn't tempt you. And, and so I can't say, well, your temptation's really bad. Mine's really not that bad, but yours is really, really bad. No, it doesn't go that way. The, the devil uses whatever he can to separate us from God. And what I, what I realize from this is that a lot of the things in our physical life are neutral. You know, I, I think of things like money or the internet, or, or choose your entertainment, TV, radio, whatever. These things are neutral when you, when you see them at first. They're, they're neutral, but how do they affect your life? How do they affect the people around you? That's what needs to, you need to look at. Is this, is this building up or destroying my relationship with God? If I do this, is this building up someone's relationship with God or am I tearing down someone's relationship with God? How does it affect me and how does it affect the people around me? And that's the question we need to begin to ask because we have to ask ourselves, am I building people up or am I tearing them down? Am I helping them to grow or am I helping them to stumble? What am I doing and how am I doing this? In verses 16 through 18, it says that we must have priorities. Verse 17 is a familiar verse. It says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This tells us that it's all about the internal, not the external. God's work in our life is internal. It comes through that faith in Christ, being in Christ, following the leading of the Holy Spirit, remembering that we are His servant. And so, again, it's not necessarily about what we do. It's about our heart. It's about the beginning. And then in the last verses here, it tells us that we must help each other grow. Verses 19 through 21, we're, we're called to help each other grow. Our rights are far less important than our obligations in the Christian life. He uses the word that we are called to pursue peace or pursue edification, that we are to, as an athlete would pursue to win a race, we are to pursue building one another up. That's our calling. On Monday, Leslie and I will celebrate our 18th wedding anniversary. And uh, yeah, it's, who, who thought it would last, right? Yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm, um, I'm still blessed far beyond I, what I deserve, but but a few years into our marriage, children entered, and that changed everything. I don't know if you remember when children came into your home, but all of a sudden, you're locking cabinets that are low to the ground, and, oh, are there any sharp corners on our furniture? Or, oh, we, we have to get carpeting that we can have spills on. And, you know, all the things that you begin to, to think about uh, when kids come 
along. And it's not about you anymore. Your house does not belong to you. It belongs to your children. And what's interesting is, as parents, I don't know if you realize this, but that idea of keeping them safe or that right environment to grow, it changes over time, doesn't it? I don't have to lock the the lower cabinets anymore, but I've got teenagers in my house now. They're a little older, and, and there are things that can harm them, and I need to set up some boundaries there. So wherever they're at in their, their growth, it's, again, it's not about me and, and my freedom. It's about building them up and making them strong men of God. And so, again, we have to keep that in mind, that my priority is not about me. It's about growing up and letting the other people around me growing up giving them love, giving them patience, giving them whatever they need. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, it's all about others. And... Um, and then the final verses there, the last two verses, it says that Christians must not force their opinions on others. I can't tell you what you should be doing, and you can't tell me what I should be doing. Ultimately, God is my master. He is your master. And let's look at these last two verses together. And then allow me just on Pentecost Sunday to bring in the Holy Spirit here at the end. It says, but if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it, for you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. I don't know if you can take a moment here. Now, I've been obviously thinking about this message for a while, so it's, it's got inside of me, but just how powerful these two verses are when you meditate on them. That if I'm not sure about something, if I'm even the least bit hesitant, I need to hit the brake. Because if I hit the gas and just motor through whatever I want to do, I'm sinning. And it's not even necessarily, quote, a bad thing, but because I'm not yielded, because I'm not listening to my master, I am sinning. And sometimes we never even get quiet enough to find out if God wants to do it, have us do it or not do it. We just got our foot on the gas all day, and we're not even listening to the voice of the Lord. And so how do we know what we are supposed to do and not supposed to do? How is to live in this relationship with God in such a way that we become so sensitive to his voice that, that, we, that we follow him? And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. That God gave us the Holy Spirit to be our guide, to give us power to do what we can't do. See, grace is not just doing whatever you want to do and not worrying about the consequences. No, that, that's not grace. Grace is doing for you what you can't do for yourself. That Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins because you could never save yourself. He sent the Holy Spirit to give you power to be conformed into his image because you couldn't do that on your own. To produce the fruit in your life that you need that you could never do on your own no matter how hard you try. See, grace is God giving those gifts 
to us. When people come to my office, the big question usually is, at some point in the conversation, is, Pastor, what do I do? What should I do? And I think in in all the years, I've said the standard answer. I've said this pretty much to everyone. says, what should I do? And I always say this, I'll trust you to hear the Holy Spirit. I'm going to trust you to hear the Holy Spirit. Because it's really not a matter if I tell you to do something or not do something. It's really not about me. It's, it's about you listening to God. Whatever level you're at spiritually in your spiritual journey and your maturity, God's going to talk to you in the way that you need to be talked to. And he's going to tell you what you need to know. Now, you may say, well, that's a, that's a cop-out, Pastor Darrell. I mean, you know, don't you know the words? Shouldn't you just tell them what to do? It's like, no, I want them to hear the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to do something now in our, our message where I'm going to tell you how to hear the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to tell you how to do it, but I can't hear the Holy Spirit for you. And you can't hear the Holy Spirit for me. I remember a, a while back, I, I was, I, there's a particular TV program that I, I really enjoyed watching. I'm not even going to name it because some of you will think it's bad and some of you will think it, there's nothing wrong with it and it doesn't matter because, again, everything's lawful. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit convicted me and told me, stop watching that show. And so I had to cut it out because God told me to. Not because someone else told me to, but God told me. And I want to tell you, something happened in, in my relationship with God. You know, there was just something fresh. There was something new. Why? Because God just brought that. And that's just one small example of being sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So how do we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? A few things here. First of all, and they'll be on the screen here. I'm just going to put them all up, and then I'll talk about each one as we go through. First of all, you, you have to have a quiet time with God. And yes, that has to do with prayer and Bible study and all of those things. But, but basically, putting yourself in a place where you're quiet enough to hear God's voice. Because like you, I'm busy, and if we are too busy, we put our foot on the gas. When we wake up in the morning, we finally hit the brake when we go to bed at night, and we never slow down to see if God is speaking us throughout the day. We have to be quiet, and we have to wait We have to be in his word because he speaks to us through his word. That's how I do know what is right and what is wrong. What are the non-negotiables in my relationship with God? Well, the word will tell me. But again, that all comes from time with him. An idea of prayer and listening and, and waiting for him to speak to me. The second thing is setting our mind. Setting our mind in the right direction. There's a variety of verses on this. There, there's some in Colossians chapter 3 that we set our mind on things above. There's Philippians 4 where it talks about that we would think on things that are good and pure and lovely. And so we set our mind in the right direction because the world will fill your mind with a lot of negative chatter, noise, and just that, again, that busy white noise that is just a part of life. And I have to set my mind according to his word. I love the song that we sang tonight, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word." Do we have enough of his word inside of us that we are listening and setting our mind on his promises and the truth of his word? I think being thankful is important because it really is worship. When we are thankful, we are worshiping. There's one thing that God can't stand. It's somebody that complains and murmurs. And so we're called to worship. And I believe there's joy in the Holy Spirit when we worship God. 
We need to be available. That's, that's the idea of listening to God. And, and, and sometimes it's something in our spirit. Sometimes we hear something. Maybe it just sounds like the, the normal voice in your head. But something prompts you to do something and that we would listen to that. Maybe you say, well, I need some confirmation. Well, go to his word. Uh, go, to, go to your heart. See, does a bear witness in your heart? Ask a, a trusted Christian friend, what do you think about this? And if, you, and if, if it just passes the test of, of confirmation, that you would go ahead and obey. See, that's the thing about being available. It's not just about listening. It's about obeying and doing what he asks you to do. And that's what we're called to do. And, then, and just one more here. We would actively participate in Christian fellowship. Where else can I practice this love that we've been talking about here, this non-judgmental love and acceptance and patience with other people if I'm all alone? Where else can I hear how God is speaking to others' lives? I love listening to testimonies, whether it's you know, somebody in church or in a classroom in the college or something, when somebody's telling me what God's doing, they're like, there's something about it. It just energizes me to know that God's at work in other people and he speaks to me through other people. So we've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and to his leading. And that's why we, we just saved some worship here for the end. But I want to talk to you about the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is actually going to come up more. We're going to conclude Romans in the next couple of weeks. And then we're going to begin some series on, on having the power of God in our life. And it's so important to have this power because, listen to me, you were created to house the power of God. God designed you spiritually, mentally, and physically to house the power of God. Have you ever thought about that? That that I can have the power of God working in and through me. And so in that, and tonight as we just worship, I'm going to invite Jonathan and the team to come up. We're just going to spend some time in worship. I'm going to just ask you to do this. Just pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, fill me afresh and new. Fill me to overflowing. Holy Spirit, speak to me and lead me. I I don't want to just... Do whatever I want to do. I want to do what you want me to do. And remember, your life, what's the main thing of chapter 14? You're meant to glorify God with your life. You're meant to be conformed into his image, and you can't do that on your own. You have to have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. The men in their um, small group are doing a book by Francis Chan called Forgotten God, and I highly recommend it. It's not a men's book per se. It's, It's just a a great book on the, on the Holy Spirit. And, and I read it when it came out, and it was just, I don't know, it just spoke to me uh, so deeply because we need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And a lot of times what we do is we say, God, what do you want me to do? And we want this big plan, you know, Holy Spirit, lead me. And we want this idea of, of the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. We want that all laid out, you know, that idea of God, lead me in your direction. And, and the reality is we should be praying, Holy Spirit, What do you want me to do in the next 15 minutes of my life? What do you want me to do in the next moment of my life? Holy Spirit, that's what relationship is about. Your relationship isn't about, Leslie and I, well, oh, 18 years. You know, let's make it to 18. Let's make it to 20 or 25. No, it's day by day. It's day by day. It's step by step. It's what's the next step? What's the next thing? And, and allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and to fill you. And it comes in when you surrender your life to him. Let me just say this and then we'll worship. We are not meant to be weak. We are meant to be strong. And too many of us look weak because we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. We're just doing what we want to do. We're not growing up. We're not maturing. 
See, what we are called to do is to be strong and mature in Him, to develop that relationship, to develop that ear, that heart, to hear the Spirit as it leads us. And you are a child of God. And so you should be resembling God and His power in your life. And you can't do it on your own. What's going to make you strong is what we're going to be doing for the next five, ten minutes or even longer. It's going to be spending time with Him. It's going to be getting close to Him. It's going to be getting on your knees or maybe on your face or maybe walking around with your hands. Whatever you need to do, just saying, God, I need you. I need you. I want you. Just say, come Holy Spirit. Here I am. I am available. I'm ready. I can't think of a better time than Pentecost Sunday to just reopen our hearts and our lives to the Holy Spirit, to His leading, to His power. Not judging the people around you, but just doing it for you. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me and I'm going to pray. Then we're going to worship. I don't know about you, but I just feel like slipping to my knees over here. So if you want to kneel down, you can do that. If you want to walk around, come to the altar, whatever you want to do. It's just our time with God. And um, we just saved this time, and, and we're just going to sing a song of surrender to get started here. But Lord, just thank you for your word tonight. I thank you that uh, you speak through your word from generation to generation. And uh, Lord, today, probably more than ever in our world, we need your power. We need your help. We need your leading and your guiding. God, we need the maturity that only comes from you. And uh, God, we can't get it any other way. We can't buy it. We can't find it in this store. God, it only comes from time with you, being close to you. And so Lord, I pray that over the next several minutes, whether standing, sitting, or on our knees before you, Lord, that we would receive what we need from you. Come Holy Spirit, fill us afresh and new tonight.